Today, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and that's the passage that Tara read for us earlier. If you're using the Bibles provided for you, uh, that's page 1008, 1008. Now, I see a few folks out there uh, either waving at me or you think it's a little warm this morning. Anybody else think it's a little warm in here this morning, okay? Everybody, who's, who's just right? You're just right. Isn't it great to start a uh, divided congregation? See immediately. <laughs> Done it. Uh, so uh, I don't know what to do about that. I probably shouldn't even brought the subject up. <laughs> I had a friend of mine. Uh, we went to college and seminary together, and he planted a church in Phoenix, Arizona. Years ago, I was out there uh, uh, speaking uh, for another church in that area, so I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I knew the Lord was blessing the ministry. They started this in a little storefront, and now they were building the building. And uh, he said, I want to show you something. So he went to the church uh, building they were constructing, and he said, I want to show you something. We walked to the back wall. He said, now, at our service, we get divided every Sunday over whether it's too hot or too cold. And he said, there's a thermostat back here in the back of the church. It's just a little auditorium. And he said, people get up and turn that up or they turn it down. He says, this can happen two or three times. He says, I've tried everything. I've tried to lock it. They broke the lock off. <laughs> and turn it up, they turn it down. He said, so I gave up. He says, but I, I had a, a good thought. We built this new building. He said, now look at this. He showed me a thermostat. He said, you see that, Sam? I said, yeah, it's a thermostat. He said, it's not connected to anything. <laughs> he, he said, they turn it up. They feel so good. They turn it down. It's not connected to anything. And so, <laughs> you know, now here, it's the truth. Here now, we can't, even a pastor can't adjust the thermostat now. You have to call for someone who puts it in through an iPad or an iPhone. Have you ever heard of such a thing? That's the way it works around here. I'm telling you, that's, uh, that's being left to evil devices myself there, I think. Okay, well, let's look to God's Word, Hebrews chapter 11. We are talking about faith, and we've been journeying through this great passage on faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we've been here for several weeks as we are going through Hebrews, which reminds us that Jesus is better than anything, and we should never settle for anything less. I want to thank you for the encouragement about the messages. I don't know when. We, I've been more encouraged by people saying that the messages uh, in these last several weeks have encouraged them. So uh, being encouraged by that, sort of stepped up my faith and said, well, uh, we'll put them in book form, Okay. And uh, so we're going to do that, these messages in Hebrews 11, by faith, and Lisa Stillwell, who has helped so faithfully in the past, we're actually going to put them in book form, and Lord willing, uh, they will be available about December 1st. And so you've told me they've encouraged you, so now I'm going to ask you to encourage me if you would just buy one or two of them. Uh, and the proceeds don't go to me, as we'll be making these available. Proceeds will go to our Cedarbrook Outreach Ministries, our local ministries to families here. But Lord willing, around uh, the 1st of December, those, uh, those books will be available by faith and be a book based on these uh, stories of faith that we have uh, studied 
in Hebrews chapter 11. This past Tuesday, as on almost every Tuesday morning, I had the privilege to meet with a group of men in a, in a men's uh, growth group, as we call them, men's group. And uh, mine is such encouragement to me. Uh, what we've been doing is, while we have been on Sunday mornings going through Hebrews, uh, the group of men I meet with, uh, we look at the passage that's coming up on Sunday and uh, we study that together and share about it and pray about it. And so it's been helpful. I have a team of helping me in, in uh, sermon preparation. And uh, that's been nice. Uh, so, you know, if it's good, I can take credit. If it's bad, I blame my men's group. You know, that's... But this past week, we were looking at this passage that Tara read for us in Hebrews 11, verse 39, over to chapter 12, verse number 2. And so I asked the group this past week, I said, now when you, we read this passage as we read it out loud, I said, what's this remind you of? And one of the men quickly said, force gum. And I thought, why sure, wouldn't anybody get that from that passage? I mean, yes, force gum's there as clear as can be. Who could miss, who could miss forest? <laughs> but I kind of kept that pastoral, you know, kind face, really. <laughs> Could you elaborate, my brother? And he said, you've got to run for the Lord. And, and we're held back by things like Forrest Gump was held back with those braces. But we just break out by faith and we're going to run for the Lord. And I thought, well, sure, that's great. I'm going to put that in my sermon. I won't, I won't give him credit for it. But, you know, but I thought, you know. You can just kind of see that image, if you're familiar with that forest, is that little boy being chased. He's got those braces, but he breaks out and he begins to run. If you've ever watched the film for the rest of his life, he's just running, you know, the rest of his life. He's running. It's, a, it's an iconic image about faith overcoming incredible obstacles, faith accomplishing incredible triumphs. And that is what I want us to talk about this morning, this kind of faith, the faith that causes us to run, to keep going for the Lord. But that faith requires a very special focus, as we're going to see. Faith like that doesn't come from looking within yourself. How many of you have come to realize that your faith doesn't increase very much when you look within yourself? And as a matter of fact, faith doesn't increase too much when we look around ourselves as well. But there is a way that we can focus our faith so that we truly can accomplish what the Lord wants done in our lives for his glory. And I want us to think about that this morning as we look at this passage. Faith's focus. Where? Do we focus our attention so that, yes, faith is born in our hearts. Faith grows in our hearts. Faith perseveres in our hearts so that we go on in running for the Lord. Where do we look? What's that focus? Well, notice, if you would, in chapter 12, verse 1, that there is an inspiration for our race that we are to run. Yes, the Lord wants us to 
run for him. But notice there's an inspiration. And that's where the writer takes us in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, the first word is crucial. Therefore, therefore, that is a connecting word. And it connects with all that has been shared in chapter 11. As a matter of fact, it connects all that's been shared from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 11, verse 40. This is the word that connects everything that the Lord has said through his servant in Hebrews to us right now in personal application. It connects all that. The rest of this letter, beginning at chapter 12, all the way through the end of the, this letter, it is personal application. Personal application. And it begins right here. Now he is connecting to what all he has said with this word, therefore. But he's also connecting with what he has just said. What has he been talking about? He's been talking about the heroes of the Jewish faith. Those people that are listed here in chapter 11, great heroes of the faith. And now he's connecting them to us. If you look at verses 39 and 40 of chapter 11, they're connected to us. And we are connected to them as people of faith in the promise of God fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah. Now, the application of the whole lesson of a life of faith, the whole application is in this amazing image that we've just read in verse 1. It's the key to understanding what we are to be doing with our lives. He says, let us run. Now, the image that immediately came to the mind of anyone in the Roman world at that time and maybe comes to many of our minds these 2,000 years later is the image of athletic games. In particular, it's the image of a race. Racing in the famous games at that time, maybe the Peloponnesian Games or the Athenian Games or perhaps the Olympic Games. Here it is, a race. Now notice, each of us is included in the race. It's a race for all of God's people, but all of us individually are in the race. It's our personal race. But now notice, there are other people in the race as well. It's our personal race, but there are other people. Verse 1 says what? We are surrounded by what? A great cloud of witnesses. Now here's the image. We are stepping up to the starting line. We're about to begin our race. 
and we look up in the stadium around us and we are encircled by this huge cloud-like mass of people, this great cloud of witnesses. Now notice, this is very important, these are not spectators. The great cloud of witnesses around us, these are not spectators. They are former participants who have already run their race. They're not people who purchase a ticket to come and watch. They are people who have already finished their competition. Now they are in the stands encircling us. They are former athletes in this competition. And now this is very important. Listen carefully. Because it may go against some wonderful things that you've heard. Maybe even some very encouraging messages that you've heard in church. But it's important to catch this because it opens up the whole passage. These people who are the great cloud of witnesses, they are not witnesses of us. It's, it does not mean this passage does not teach that the believers who've gone before are up in heaven and now they're up in heaven looking over the portal of heaven and watching us. That's very powerful, but that's not what this passage means. These people here are not witnesses of us. Listen carefully. They are witnesses for us. They have run the race. Now, it's our turn. They are examples for us. They're not up there watching us. We're here running our race and we're looking up in the stands of great heroes of the faith who have gone before and they are examples for us. That's who the cloud of witnesses, it's who they are. Not witnesses of us, they are witnesses for us to look to them. And now, it's our turn. The race is on. It's real time. It's our time on the field. These heroes from the past, they provide us inspiration. You see, we read about some of these men and women in the past who are great heroes of the faith, and, and they're not perfect. They're, they're people of faith, but they're not perfect. And you know what? In a, in a strange way, that encourages us. Because you know, a perfect person isn't necessarily a very inspiring example for you. The most inspiring example for us are people who had their struggles just like we do. They were, they're like us, and yet they pressed on. And so they're examples to us. They're not perfect. God has never had perfect people to work with. How many of you know God's never had the dream team? No, his team has always been the bad news bears. That's his team. 
God's never been able to look at his team and say, look at these Super Bowl champions of the world. Uh Uh-uh. He looks at a team that doesn't have much to offer, but we're his team. We're his team. And the Lord has determined that he's going to get greater glory for his son Jesus by making champions out of people who are not even ready for the competition at all. They inspire us because they're like us. But now even as we're inspired for the race, it still comes down to each of us and there's got to be a dedication. They ran the race, they can't run yours. You may have some loved ones up in the stands. Their life is finished. You thank God for their example. You think of their example often. Maybe the example of your father, your mother, brother, sister, a loved one, a co-worker, a buddy in the armed services, maybe a fellow student. They're in the stands and they inspire you, but they can't run your race. It's up to you. And so there's got to be a dedication for our race. Notice the dedication. Look at verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Now that sounds serious, doesn't it? It's supposed to. Let us lay aside. Let's put it off. What does that mean? It means this race isn't a warm-up. This race is, is not a qualifying heat. This is the only race we got. One life. One race. This is it. It's serious. And it deserves and demands determination. A determination, first of all, to do what? It's a determination to run light. To run light. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now notice, there's two categories of things that can hold back your life from being all the Lord wants it to be. Running your race to the best of your ability with God's help. What are two things that can hold you back? He says you've got to lay aside weight and you've got to lay aside sin. What's the difference? Listen carefully. A weight is anything in your life which is unhelpful to the race. It's anything in your life which is unhelpful to the race. A sin is anything which is unholy. Weight is anything which is unhelpful. Sin is anything which is unholy. We have to lay aside, notice, Determination. This is serious. 
lay aside the things that are unhelpful and lay aside the things which are unholy. A weight is something in your life or my life that is unhelpful. That means it's not evil. There are things in our lives that are not wrong. There's just the possibility that they don't help us run the race. They don't help us run the race. This past week, I was out <clears throat> walking a trail here in West Knoxville. I saw this team of men get out of their cars, and it was clear that they were going to exercise together. They all had the same kind of uniform on. And then they each reached in their vehicle, and they got backpacks that were absolutely full. And you could see these hefty guys pick them up, and they put these weights, these backpacks on their back. And they started running, training with these backpacks. Not a good idea for the race, but to get ready for the race, yeah, this is helpful. But sometimes things are not helpful when you're in the race. They're good, they're not just helpful. I remember a couple years ago, Susan and I had a personal experience with this. We were going to Romania to speak to some workers over there for several days. And so we were flying from Atlanta, Georgia to Munich, Germany. We taxied away from the ramp, started down the taxiway. Then we stopped for a while. And then the pilot came on. Here's what he said. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to pull over here on the tarmac for a while. Computers are showing us we're about 1,000 pounds too heavy. We need to run some fuel off. And so we're going to run the engines until we reduce the weight by about 1,000 pounds. Now I'm sitting back there. I'm thinking, I got a better idea. Let me go up and down through here and find eight or ten of the biggest people on this plane. Not counting myself. Let's get them off and keep the fuel on. How about that? Just sounds like a better plan to me. 35,000 feet above the earth's surface fuels a good thing. Just saying. But it's not a good thing if you're having to lift that extra thousand pounds off the runway. They had to reduce the weight so the plane could optimally get to liftoff speed. Weight is often a good thing in itself, but it's a bad thing when it gets too big in your life and it's keeping you from running as good as you could be running. Some people have weights in their life. They're not bad, maybe good. Some people have hobbies. But the hobby has become so big, it's taking up way too much of their focus on the things of the kingdom. Some people 
have good jobs and what a blessing a job is. It's a great thing to have a job, but sometimes you don't put the boundaries around the job and the job becomes your identity and your identity stops being who you are in Christ and it starts being what you do. And when your identity becomes what you do rather than whose you are, you got a problem. It becomes a bad thing. Could be a relationship. The person's not the bad person. It's just this person's just not right for you. It's not that this person's evil. It's just a deep relationship with that person's out of bounds. It's a weight. It's got to be set aside. It could be a schedule. You have 168 hours in your week just like I do and just like every person on the face of this earth has. 168 hours to live each week. And sometimes our schedule, which is good to have a schedule, but where's the time for quiet. Where's the time with your family? Where's the time with your children and grandchildren? Where's the time for the word and prayer? Where's the consistent time for gathering with the people of God? You see, a schedule's a good thing, but a schedule is to be a help. It's never to be a weight. Lay aside every weight. A weight is something that's unhelpful in the race. What's sin? Sin is something different. Sin is not something that's unhelpful. It's unholy. Unholy. Why do we say it's unholy? Because it does not align with God's standards. And how many of us know holy and unholy, right and wrong, is not determined by political polls or by our culture. It's determined by eternal God. God says what is right and what is wrong. God put the stripes on the racetrack and he didn't ask our opinion about them. When we get outside of the lane, when we violate the rules, this is sin. It's unholy. But it's not just sometimes things that we do. Notice it's sin which clings so closely. Do you see this? It's like, it's like sometimes he's describing a sin here that's like a warm-up outfit that's not baggy. It clings to the skin and you, you have to strip it off of you. That's the image here. He's talking about sin that's not just, well, I do a little something over here, or I do a little something over here. No, it's become something so close to me. It's almost like it's part of me. As a matter of fact, it might not be on the outside at all. It might be on the inside. It might be an attitude or a spirit, and it won't go away by any kind of just reading a book. It won't go away by just coming to church. You found that out. That doesn't work. The only way it's going to go away is with the power of God and your determination to strip it off. It may be a spirit, unforgiveness. Somebody wronged you recently or years ago. You will not let them go. Bitterness, anger, ingratitude. A hypercritical spirit. 
Yes, latent, inherent racism. Where you judge people on the contours of their face or the color of their skin or the contents of their bank account. It's got to be ripped off and ripped away. Jesus said it this way. If anyone would come after me, if anybody wants to follow after me, if anybody wants to run the race, let him deny what? Himself. Oh, you see, friends, this is where it gets so challenging. It's not just denying stuff that's away from you. I'm going to deny that, or I'm going to deny that, or I'm going to deny that. No, to be free means you got to deny yourself. And take up your cross and follow Jesus. It means to run with self-denial. We must be dedicated to run light. Light. And that's so we can be dedicated to run long. What does he say? Let us Lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us and let us run with, next word, endurance. Your Bible may say patience, but the word here literally means to remain under. It's not a word that means like this. No, no, no. It means this. I'm going to endure. It's, it's under being under, bearing under is the idea. Running with endurance. It's not a sprint. This life of running for Jesus is not a sprint. It's a marathon. You know, I have never in my life been a long-distance runner. Let me clarify that. I've never been a runner at all in my entire life. It just never made any sense to me. Now, if I hit a ball and I had to run to first base, that made sense. If I had to run down the court with, with a ball, get open for a pass, take a shot, that made sense. If I had to run my route, catch a pass over the middle, run for the end zone, ah, now I, I'll run. But just to run for the sake of running? I don't get it. Just don't. I know. I'm not judging. No judgment here. I just, I just don't get it. I, I went a few years ago. I was speaking in Nashville. This dear lady came up to me afterwards. She said, "Oh, Reverend Polson, I was so blessed by what you had to say today. Thank you. You remind me so much of my pastor." I said, "Oh, really? He couldn't be here. He's out." West in an Ironman competition. <laughs> and you know, inside you're smiling the smile and you're thinking, hate him, you know. <laughs> Fanatic. <laughs> That's what's going through your mind. Ironman competition. Mm-mm. We have one race. One race. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Yes, our race is one of dedication, it's one of self denial, but here is where we need to get what makes this worthwhile? Why would anybody do this? 
What makes it worthwhile? That's the motivation. It's the motivation for our race. What's the motivation? Well, verse 2 tells us it's not a what, it's a who. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's motivation. There's motivation. What's the motivation? The ultimate motivation is not, I want to be like David. I want to be like Samson. I want to be like Sarah or Ruth. Or I want to be like Abraham. No, that's wonderful. But the ultimate motivation is the one who has captured our heart, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the motivation. It's the motivation of love. It's not running because you have to. It's running for Jesus because you get to. Why do we run for Jesus? Because it's Jesus we get to run for. That's the reason. He's worth it. He's worth it. That's the motivation. Jesus, our Savior, He's the reason we run. He is our motivation. And so He's all the motivation we need. So, what do we do? Notice what it says fixing your eyes on Jesus. You might want to mark in your Bible where it says, looking to Jesus. That doesn't mean glance. It doesn't mean look, run some more. No, it means this. The word means this. Fixed. Fixed. Your eyes bearing right on Jesus. That's the idea. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Friends, Jesus is our purpose. He's our purpose so let's run for him, right? Let's run for him. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Did, did you ever think it through? When did your faith really begin? You, you may not know the moment your faith really began, but I can tell you what your faith was because it is the absolute center of all true Christian faith. Here's what you saw in your mind, in the very spirit of your mind. You saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You were able to see him by faith. You could see him your eyes were open. You were blind. Now you see. Jesus is no longer a historical figure to you. You once knew about him in the flesh, but now you know him personally. Now you see him. You understand who he is and what he's done for you, what he means to you. you your eyes have been open and you see him. That's where your faith began. If that's how you see Jesus, then you are a believer. But if you don't see Jesus 
as the glory of God in the face of Christ, if you don't see him for who he is for you, then you are not yet a believer. You believe about him, but you have never known him yet. How do you grow in faith? Fixing your eyes on Jesus. How do you keep growing in faith? You keep looking where your faith began. Where did your faith begin? Looking to Jesus. How's your faith going to grow stronger and be perfected? By looking to Jesus. How often we're let down when we look to any man or woman, right? Because the more you get to know any man or woman, know how good, no matter how good and wonderful that person may be, if you really get to know them, you are going to find out there's flaws there. So your faith is not in a person because every person is imperfect, but the more you get to know Jesus, the better he is, the greater he is to you. He increases your faith. Our race is by him. He's the author of our faith. How do we get in the great race? He put us in the race. He is the author of our faith, the beginning of our faith. It's by him and through him and for him. It's all for Jesus. What a day will dawn upon your life, my friend, when Christianity for you stops being a creed. And starts being Christ. Oh, that's a new day. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. He didn't say, I know what I have believed. I know whom I have believed. Oh, that's different. Jesus is our purpose, so let's run for him. Also notice Jesus is our pattern. We're to run like him. How did Jesus run his race? It it might surprise you. Look at verse 2. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. Jesus faithfully ran his race. He ran it all the way to the finish line on earth. And the finish line for him on earth was the horror of the cross. The sin, the shame. He endured it. But notice, why did Jesus endure the cross? Even though he despised the shame of the cross. Why did he endure it? Because his father said he had to? No. Did he endure the cross because of you? No. The Bible tells you. Read the verse. Why did Jesus endure the cross even though he despised the shame? He did it for joy. Not the joy of the cross. There was no joy in the cross. There was only horror in the cross. It was the joy set before him. 
It was after the cross. There was something he could see. There was something that was so glorious and wonderful and unbelievably amazing that he endured the cross for that joy. What was that? Well, let's let him tell us. You get to hear him say why he endured the cross in one of his prayers to the Father. Here's what he prayed. John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given to me, that's his people, I desire that they may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What was the joy? Listen to this. It was the joy of Jesus sharing the glory of the Father's love that he had known throughout eternity. The incredible, incredible, infinite love of God poured out upon him. He had known in all eternity and the joy that was set before him was to share that joy with you. He could see the incredible joy of making known to sinners the experience of the eternal love of God that he himself had known forever. That was why he endured the cross. And he despised the shame. It was the joy of returning to his Father's glorious love and taking sinners with him to experience it as well. What a Savior. Jesus is our purpose. Let's run for him. Jesus is our pattern. Let's run like him. Run for joy. Run for the joy. The joy of being with him. The joy of knowing this Father's love. Run. Run for that. And thirdly and lastly, Jesus is our prize. So let's run to him. Jesus is our purpose, so we run in our life and our race for him. Jesus is our pattern. We're going to run our life like him. We're going to run for the joy of the glorious love of God. But Jesus is our prize. Never forget you're running to him. Verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus has finished his race and he has sat down on the throne, the seat, the victor's seat. Friends, listen, we're not running the race so that when we get to heaven, it's going to be like the Olympics, and some, some of you are going to get up 
and you're going to have the gold medal. And then others, silver. And others, bronze. And some of us, a certificate of participation. <laughs> oh, that just adds indignity to it, you know. No, 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 no. We're running to Jesus. There's only one person on the platform. It's Jesus Christ. We're running to him. You see, we're not running for a prize, though we will be rewarded and we want to do our best. But ultimately what we're running for is we're running to Jesus. We're running to him. Friend, when you get to heaven, I know, I know there's loved ones you're going to want to see. And you know what? They still are who they were. They still have their identity. You know how I know that? Because Jesus said, Abraham is still Abraham. Isaac is still Isaac. Jacob is still Jacob. And when Jesus was glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses on one side, Elijah on the other, you will know each other in heaven. But when you get to heaven, trust me, as much as you're going to want to see your dad or your mom or brother, loved one, wife, husband, that's not who you're going to want to see, first of all. Because it wouldn't matter who is there. If Jesus isn't there, it's not heaven at all. Gates of pearl would mean nothing. Streets of gold would be repugnant. If in all of that, Jesus wasn't there. But friends, thank God, he's there. We're running to him. And when you get to heaven, he will be the reward. You see, the bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I shall not gaze on glory, but on my king of grace. Not on the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. For the lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. We run for Jesus. Looking to Jesus, we run. And yes, I pray that we'll say to each other and we'll know the ones that have gone before are witnesses and yes they encourage us by their lives but we'll decide we're going to run the race that's set before us for Jesus sake Amen